Hey, hello again, everyone, and welcome to what it is, the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 27th of September, 2022. Happy Tuesday to you. We're well on our way to the weekend. I know, it's pathetic, but we're well on the way to the end of September, too, which, you know, as a kid, September was always my least favorite month because it was when you went back to school. Now, uh, meh, kind of indifferent towards September, as long as the weather stays okay. Usually wet, though, and muddy and blech. Anyway, welcome to the program. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff. Don't forget the contest this week is between Billy Idol and Megan Kelly. Autographed books by both. You can see it and enter to win at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or at DerekHunter.locals.com. Support the show and uh, get chances to win. There's extra content and pictures of the family and everything there. So check it out at those two websites. I really do appreciate everybody who signs up and supports the show, even if it's just because you want to win signed books. You win signed books. I don't I don't blame you. I don't care why you support the show. I just appreciate that you do. All right, let us get on with the program. We have a, a lot going on. There's a bunch of stuff to get to today. And I'm sitting there and thinking, where do I want to start? Where do I want to start? Well, I want to start with a friendly fire. I want to start with criticizing Republicans because this is a problem for Republicans. And if the uh, midterm elections don't go as well as they should, as well, like it doesn't even matter. You just have to be not the party in power, not the party in the White House. And you generally do well in a midterm election. So if things don't go well, it is not because, well, the Democrats ran a really smart campaign because they're not running a really smart campaign. We'll get to what they're running on soon enough. It's not because they're appealing to more. They're not trying to appeal to anybody except for their own base. They're looking at this as a base election And if they get enough Democrats to turn out, that's enough. They think that the Republicans won't turn out, so they need their base to show up. That's it. They're they're running on a campaign of, uh, screw independents. Forget them. They think they're not interested. And it's because they can't appeal to them. They have to kind of run on that. And maybe they're right. Because you can't just win an election simply because you're the other guy. At least you can't easily win an election. You can't win as many elections in the House of Representatives as you should. You can't win as many seats as you should saying, I'm the Republican and Democrats are in charge. Like, Okay, that's all well and good, but the other guy's given me reasons to vote for them. They're bad reasons. They're not, but at least they're saying what they're going to do and why they should be elected, whereas Republicans aren't. Now, just to give you the the context of this, 1994, Republicans were in the uh, were on the outs with everything. Republicans were out of the House of Representatives and out of power in the House of Representatives for forty years. Forty years, and uh, that's that's pretty significant. Yet. They had a plan. They had now in the Senate it had been different. 
with uh, Ronald Reagan's coattails, the Republicans controlled the Senate for two years in uh, 19 from 1981 to 1983, the beginning of 91 to or 81 to the beginning of 83, the next the midterm elections, as always happens, they lost and boom, they, uh, they uh, were back in the minority again, but the house was significant because they won it by a large margin. Part of the reason they won it is because the Democrats were particularly terrible, a scenario in which we currently find ourselves. Democrats are particularly terrible and wildly unpopular. Anybody who's patting themselves on the back and thinking no matter what happens and no matter who the nominee is, 2024 is going to be a cakewalk, has to remember 1994. No matter what happens this time, the presidents can be wildly, wildly, wildly unpopular. And then go on to win because two years is an eternity in politics. The opposite is true, too. If you look at 1991 George H.W. Bush, then the, it was just George Bush because he was the only one. If you look at him after the Gulf War, he was unstoppable. He was unbeatable. It was amazing. He was so wildly popular, something like 81% approval rating. People loved him. Then he violated his pledge to read my lips, no new taxes, he raised taxes. Then we had a recession because of it, in part because of it. And he became wildly unpopular. It was if George W. or H. W. Bush was so wildly popular that you can find it online somewhere. There was a uh, an SNL, Saturday Night Live skit that was pretty damn funny. And it was a debate amongst Democrats considering running in 1992. And it was the uh, the fight. It was a whole bunch of Democrats up there fighting to not be the nominee. And it was the race to not be the guy who loses to George Bush. That was that was what they called it. That was the, the announcer comes over. Now here's the Democratic debate. The race not to be the one to lose to George Bush. And everybody up there, Chris Cuomo, or not Chris Cuomo, uh, Andrew Cuomo at the time, governor of New York, he was thought of as sort of the uh, Democratic front runner. And if he'd ever had a chance to become president, this is why the uh, this is why his son is so upset. It's Mario Cuomo, not Andrew Cuomo. What am I thinking? Uh, this is why his son wanted to be president so badly to sort of redeem his father. But Mario Cuomo's character, whoever I forget who was playing him, goes out there and says, the reason to vote against me is I have mob ties. Like they're all just up there saying the bad things about them because they didn't want to lose to Bush. I think it might have been Phil Hartman playing Mario Cuomo. But then a year later, things had changed so dramatically. Cuomo had decided not to run. Bill Clinton gets the, the nomination because he's a better politician than anybody else who was running. George Bush had become wildly unpopular and... Ross Perot entered the race, splitting the, the, the vote three ways. Perot's 19% may or may not have been the difference maker. Nobody knows where Perot's 19% would have gone, but it certainly didn't help. It allowed Bill Clinton to win with only 43% of the popular vote. Something that still bothers Bill Clinton today, by the way, is that he never got 50% of the popular vote. He came close. He got 49% in 1996, 
but uh, he only won with 43%. So he was never a majority president, even though you'd, you'd sit there and you listen to the coverage of him at the time and even to this day, and you think, my God, he was he's a hero to everybody. Not the case, not the case at all. But anyway, 1994 comes around. Republicans, led by Newt Gingrich, then not Speaker of the House, then Minority Leader, he came up with a brilliant idea. Till then, House elections had been local elections. All politics is local. And you've got uh, 435 individual races that have really very little to do with each other. Party membership was eh, secondary at best. And Bill uh, and Newt Gingrich decided, let's let's nationalize this. Let's bring it all. Let's bring us all together under one document. We sign it and they say, if you vote for us, this is what you'll get. And it was the contract with America. The contract with America was simplistic and beautiful in its simplicity. It was 10 things that if Republicans took the majority would get a vote in the House of Representatives. It wasn't promises beyond that. It wasn't that we're going to pass them. It's not that we're going to ram these through. It's not that these will become the law of the land. It is, if you elect us, this is what we will vote on. We will vote to pass these things. Now, it'll put pressure on the Senate to act. And if it gets through the Senate, it'll put pressure on the president. The House can only be responsible for what the House does. But the House was saying, if we're elected, here it is. And it wasn't these vague concepts. It was expressly, uh, it was written legislation. These were bills that had been introduced and Democrats had denied votes on. So yes, there were concepts behind them, term limits and what have you, but there was actual legislation. So the, uh, let's see, the Fiscal Responsibility Act, the American Dream Restoration Act, the National Security Restoration Act, the Job Creation and Wage Enhancement Act, the Citizen Legislature Act, which was the term limits. These were pieces of legislation that had already been introduced. If you wanted to at the time and you had nothing better to do in 1994, you could have gone and looked up these bills as they were introduced in the House of Representatives and said, oh, this is what they're going to vote on. That was the promise. That was the contract with America. Vote for us and we will vote on these things. We will try to get them. I think, uh, I think eight of them passed or got votes or whatever, whatever it was, it was an impressive bit in the first hundred days. And this was all, by the way, it's not eventually and one day we'll do. It was in the first hundred days. It was unambiguous. The people knew what they were voting for and therefore people knew what they were voting against. And they voted overwhelmingly for Republicans. Because in large, well, because Bill Clinton had tried to push Hillary Care on everybody. They didn't like that. They didn't like the idea of losing their health insurance. And because they knew what Republicans would do otherwise. There's something to be, look, if you don't know what the alternative is, there is a, a part of human beings that goes, well, the devil you know. The devil, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this other thing is going to be. I don't know what this other person will do. I don't know what these other party will. I don't know what they're going to do, or I suspect it's not going to be good. Uh, I know that the alternative is not going to be good. So do we go with the devil we know that's going to do things we don't like? 
or do we take a flyer on something? No, there's some. There's a small percentage of the population is that that goes for that. But in '94, this was more people voting for something. They knew what they were voting for, at least. Now you come to today, and you got Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans. It's not a hard lesson. I just explained it to you inside of about 10 minutes, what the contract with America was. And I did it in a very wordy way. It could have been done in about three minutes. And ever since then, Republicans have tried to emulate that. They've uh, they've tried to, they've failed. They end up putting out really convoluted documents. The beauty of the contract with America is it was so simple. The simplicity made it easy to understand. Are oh, you going to vote on these things? Okay, you're going to vote on these things. And they all had, since they had legislation backing them up that was already introduced, you just put the title in there and you understand what those titles are. Something fiscal responsibility is like a balanced budget amendment. Taking back our Streets Act. Hey, that sounds like it's anti-crime. So you look at this, the, three, uh, the uh, American Dream Restoration Act, create a $500 per child tax credit for married couples. Okay, pretty basic. Now you come to today, where the Republicans over the weekend introduced their commitment to America agenda. Commitment to America agenda. Now I spent some time this morning trying to look up, looking for some bullet points. You would think if you're putting out something to uh, run on, that the, it's going to be pretty, you, you think you could summarize it. Maybe there's a longer document someplace else, but the basics should be in bullet point form or bullet pointable. Couldn't find it. I couldn't even find a news story with a decent explanation of what it was, except it, it certainly has nothing to do with actual legislation. It has to do with vague concepts. Even Fox News has difficulty highlighting this thing. They write in their story, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy introduced the GOP's Commitment to America package on Friday. Republicans shared sales pitch ahead of the upcoming midterms. McCarthy came out swinging in his speech, accusing Democratic lawmakers of ignoring rising crime, decrying restrictions on parental rights, and promising to repeal the recent expansion of the Internal Revenue Service. As uh, The agenda includes a slate of general policy recommendations, which is dumb. It might work, but it's dumb. General policy recommendations in four broad categories – an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. Now, you, if you go to the, the Republican leader's website, you can look up all of these things. And you, you can. I did. There's videos. It's super interactive. Boy, howdy, if you're a 12-year-old boy who loves flash plugins and various things that make websites take forever to load on older computers. That's exactly what you want. But if you're looking for quick information, easily digestible, if you want to have a conversation with somebody inside of a minute or two to say, here, look, here's what Republicans are going to do, X, Y, and Z. You're not going to find it there. Oh, they're in favor of an economy that's strong. Okay, well, you know, you can say 
that you're in favor of an economy that's strong. Democrats certainly would say they're in favor of an economy that's strong. They don't actually produce one, but they're in favor of it. So when you're dealing with the rhetoric on the uh, political campaign trail, an economy that's strong is a nice buzz phrase, but it doesn't really mean anything. You go through this page. I clicked on it for the, an economy that's strong. A Republican commitment to a strong economy. The cost of living, that's another link altogether. You go down this rabbit hole. American energy, supply chain. These are the subcategories that don't by themselves, except for maybe American energy, mean a whole hell of a lot. Fight inflation and lower the cost of living. Everyone knew that wasteful Washington spending would spur inflation. Millions of hardworking taxpayer dollars were sent to luxury resorts and ski slopes, even stimulus checks to prisoners like the Boston Marathon bomber. Yet after more than a year of crushing inflation, Democrats still have no plan to solve it. Americans can't afford Democrats' policies, but we are certainly paying for them. This is the opening paragraph. Do you see any reason to vote for a Republican? Some reason to vote against Democrats. But what do you get otherwise? They then continue to grouse. Nine total government spending, uh, and this is number nine. Total government spending has increased by over $9 trillion since February of 2021. Right. Then it's under 550%. In June, inflation has increased nearly 550% under this administration, okay? 13.5%. Year-over-year food prices are edging up 13.5%, the largest increase ever. Then there's another thing. Oh, finally, you get to show our plan to fix the economy and revive the American dream. That's another one of their bullet points. You get lost down this rabbit hole, 20 minutes in, you still have no idea exactly what Republicans will do if you vote for them. It's the exact opposite of the contract with America. It's the convoluted contract with America. The Republican plan is just we're for good stuff. Okay, that's fine. It's all well and good. And it's certainly music to the ears of people who are inherently aware of what the good stuff would be. But if you don't have those people already sewn up, you're in trouble. You've got those people. There's something to be said for preaching to the choir. And you've got to preach to the choir. The choir needs to be preached to. The bass needs to have red meat thrown to it from time to time. But it can't be all you bring to the table. That cannot be all you've got. You've got to bring something else. You've got to bring something more. You need to broaden the bass. And I don't know that this does this because you can't really explain what it is other than in vapid platitudes. Now, maybe vapid platitudes work. Maybe my understanding of politics has changed, uh, or politics has changed so dramatically, and I just haven't noticed it, that vapid platitudes work. And I understand that Republicans have the advantage of being the out party in a midterm election. The president is unpopular, although if you believe the polls, he's becoming slightly more popular or whatever. All of the circumstantial evidence, all of the secondary things whirling around the election are in Republicans' favor. But I, for one, would like to maximize Republican wins. It's not enough to just break the tape first to run oh it's a it's a hundred meter dash or a marathon or whatever it is and you've won 
That's great. I like to bury my opponents. I want to win by a lot. Why? Because in two years, you get to do this all over again. You have to do this all over again. And the more seats you win at a time when things are favorable to you, the more seats you're likely to hold the next time around. Not guaranteed the House can flip back and forth, but if you if you have a House, if you control the House by 10 votes, then Democrats need to flip five seats, six seats to, to regain it. That's a lot easier than if you control the House by 40 votes because then they need to flip a hell of a lot more votes in order to regain control. That's what I want. Instead, you get Kevin McCarthy. This is back for the uh, Fox News story. Quote, Kevin McCarthy. We want an economy that is strong. That means you can fill up your tank. You can buy the groceries. You can have enough money left over to go to Disneyland and save for a future that the paychecks grow. They no longer shrink, McCarthy told the crowd, laying out the Republicans what Republicans say they will do if they gain the House majority again. First of all, you're using Disneyland as an example. Isn't Disney the enemy? He continued, quote, We have a plan for a nation that's safe. That means your community will be protected. Your law enforcement will be respected. Your criminals will be prosecuted. We believe in a future that's built on freedom. That's uh, that your children come first. Are you hearing anything specific in there? Are you hearing anything beyond platitudes? Are you hearing anything about how the federal government is going to have local prosecutors, especially ones elected by George Soros money, how they're going to have an influence over the prosecution of state crimes, how the federal government is going to have a say in state crimes? No, you don't. You don't, because you can't. I mean, maybe you can tie some money to it as if you want this money, you've got to do X, Y, and Z, but I think it's abundantly clear that the people elected in these positions don't really give a damn already about the people, the lives of the people they were elected by, the people they're supposedly going to serve. So why the hell would they care about money that they're currently not getting and uh, won't get unless they comply with... Rep- the, the human decency doesn't cause these people to go, I need to do something else. Why would the dangling of potential money from Washington make a difference? The GOP leader said the agenda was formed with input from Republicans across the country with the explicit purpose of avoiding top-down party politics. It's a perfect example of too many cooks right there. It just is. In 1994, Newt Gingrich and a small group of people, including my former boss and friend Grover Norquist, all worked together. There were a a small group of people who came up with the idea, the points, the bullet points of the contract with America. Now, Grover, I've talked to him about this, and he said, though, everybody was there throwing everything in there and all these concepts and everything, and Newt played traffic cop. He was batting things away. No, we're not going to do this. No, we're not going to do That's too vague. We need actual legislation that exists. You can all run. Look, if somebody wants to run on a whole bunch of other things, too, in 1994, they could do that. But if they signed on to the contract with America, it was unambiguous. We, I, if elected, will do these things. And I'll also do X, Y, and Z. You can make your own individual race about whatever you want it to be. 
But those 10 points were there. The left hated the idea. They called it the contract on America. They went absolutely nuts. They lied about it. They misled about it. They did what they do. They're going to do the same thing about this, except there's less. I suppose there's something to be said for there's less to figure out what the hell they're doing. But in all honesty, you're sitting there. It's not a top down approach. Kevin McCarthy, you're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be the leader. You're the one supposed to be out there saying this way, first over the hill. You're not char- you're not charging into actual bullet fire. You're charging into rhetorical fire and a political fight. You should be out there first saying these are the tenants here. Instead, you've got vagaries. You've got input from everybody across the country. Well, you know what? The guy in uh, Oregon wants to run on different issues than the woman in Ohio. Why? Because Oregon and Ohio are different, and different parts of Ohio are different from different parts of Ohio. That was the beauty of the contract, is it was 10 specifics that weren't local, that weren't personal, that were big-picture things. We're going to balance the budget. We're going to impose term limits. We're going to make sure that criminals don't get out. We're going to do these things. And then if you say, I'm going to bring home the bacon to build the community swimming pool or make sure that the potholes are filled, that's up to you. We want to secure the border. Okay, great. What are you going to do specifically to secure the border? And how are you going to secure the border with Joe Biden as president? Okay, the problem is that you're promising to get things done or implying that you're going to get things done when you can't get things done. Not good things. Joe Biden is not going to allow the border to be secure. He will fight tooth and nail on that. The law already calls for the border to be secure, and he's refusing to enforce the law. So another law saying, oh, by the way, you've got to do what the law already says you've got to do, is not going to change the way Joe Biden does his job or the way that Joe Biden's handlers do Joe Biden's job. It's simply not. You've got to have realistic promises that you can do. Then everybody else can promise whatever they want in their own race. Fox News trying to compare it to the contract. The agenda follows the playbook, the contract with America that helped former Speaker Newt Gingrich win a GOP majority in the 1990s. No, it doesn't. For all the reasons I just said. They can't even bother to sit there and say, in 1994. I don't know who wrote this thing. Timothy Nerosi. I assume Timothy Nerosi wasn't alive in 1994. Fox News Digital. He probably wasn't alive in 1994. History begins every day when you wake up to people who are young and inexperienced. But an editor should have bothered to at least put that detail in there. Republicans say it's the culmination of more than a year's work, working with GOP-only China task force, Working started working with the uh, GOP-only China task force. McCarthy liked that model and stood up several other task forces earlier this year, including on the economy, tech, health, energy, and more. You want to know the real problem? You shouldn't need committees to find out what the core principles are. I'm just saying. 
You should have had these things at the ready. McCarthy's speech focused heavily on rising crime and rapid decrease in sentencing under local and state democratic governments, which, when it comes to state crimes, the federal government really can't do much. Quote, we watched as they did to our community what they did to our communities, defunding the police. We've got a crime problem from Portland to Philadelphia now with DAs and prosecutors that looked the other way, McCarthy said. It's um, Kevin McCarthy is not the guy. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Kevin McCarthy is not the leader that we need. These are not the droids we're looking for. He is not a leader. He is weak. He uh, is not particularly... He's very good at attacking Democrats. I suppose that's fine. But Newt Gingrich, man, give me Newt Gingrich. Can we get Newt Gingrich back into the House of Representatives? He could talk to people about uh, anything in the way that people talk. He can explain complicated policies in a pretty simple one or two sentence way that made sense. And Kevin McCarthy is uh, sets up shop on one cable network and that's it. That's all he does. I can't stress enough. Just preaching to the choir ain't enough. If you don't have the choir, you're in big trouble. But to win elections, you got to bring more than just the choir. You got you got to bring a hell of a lot more than just the choir. And I don't know that this does it. I hope so. I mean, this is what they got. It's too late now. But uh, the real problem is that nobody seems to have nobody in politics seems to have learned the lessons from 1994 and the contract with America. And that's just sad because they're right there and they're so easy to get. The contract fit on one piece of paper. One side of one piece of paper is pretty basic. It didn't involve a convoluted website where you go down various click holes and then you forget what you were doing there in the first place. Now to this uh, preamble, just the meaningless nature of the preamble. It's a a preamble. It essentially is saying, and you have preamble at the top, and they do, is this is, uh, don't pay any attention to this. Here's why we're doing what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's meaningless. Says America is exceptional. Okay, great. Congratulations. We all agree on that. Says as Americans, we cherish our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We salute those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our freedoms. We celebrate the rich heritage of the American story and the vibrancy of the American dream. And we embrace the responsibility to protect and uphold all that has made this nation's the world's shining beacon of hope. Okay, it sounds like a campaign speech more so than, you know, an agenda. Because it's not an agenda. Unfortunately, it continues, over the past two years, Democrats in Washington have led America off track. Just over the past two? They created crisis after crisis, from gripping inflation and rampant crime to failing schools, border chaos, and disrespect for our nation across the globe. Worse still, they have ignored our constituents' priorities and shown contempt for their values. You still hearing anything to, to rally behind and vote for for people who aren't already on board? Their next point, the first bullet sort of point was America is exceptional. They have three headlines or three categories in this. The next one is, we will not allow it. We will not allow it. 
The national commitment to America repre- the commitment to America represents a new direction and better approach that will get our nation back on track. Because Americans are workers and builders, we commit to remove government-imposed obstacles to their success. Hard-working taxpayers should be valued, not punished. Okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What doesn't say here? Doesn't I mean? I suppose if you went through fifteen clicks on a website, you might be able to find it. But you can't really put that in a campaign ad. It has to be a fifteen-minute campaign ad where they're trying to explain nuanced policy. Because the next point is because no American should live in fear. We commit to reverse soft-on-crime policies that have caused violence in our communities. Public safety is a necessity, not a privilege. Except for the fact that these crimes are state crimes. Okay? What can you do? I don't know. They just, they're going to commit to reverse them, the soft-on-crime policies. Because Americans are learners and dreamers, we commit to advance excellence in education and respect for dedicated parents and teachers. Our future depends on it. No offense, but that says absolutely nothing. That said, I'll read it again. It says absolutely nothing. Because Americans are learners and dreamers, we commit to advance excellence in education and respect for dedicated parents and teachers. Our future depends on it. How? What are you going to do? It's a long way, by the way, from we should not have a federal department of education. Education is not within the federal government's purview. Nothing in the Constitution is... uh, calls for this. The Federal Department of Education didn't exist until the Carter administration, by the way, so it's not as though it's got this long storied history. And ever since its inception, the education system has been getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But now they're going to, Republicans are going to focus like a laser on it or something. And it continues, because Americans deserve fairness and real accountability, we commit to make Washington finally serve the needs of the people. We can no longer afford business as usual. What the hell does that mean? What does that mean? Honestly, does anybody know what that means? I'm open. Get in touch with me. Let me know what that means, because I don't know what that means. Other than it's a word salad. And we this is what happens when you we gather together conservatives and Republicans from across the country. Okay, great. And you toss the word salad. How about you just come up with something and you invite other people to join it? That was a thing. Newt Gingrich and a very small group of people cooked up the contract with America. And then he put it out there. For Republican candidates and Republican elected officials, most of the signatories were candidates to sign it or not sign it. Say, here, this is what we're signing on to. Will you sign on to it? It wasn't, uh, let me know what you think of this. Let me know if you've got any changes. We will uh, come up with some changes. We'll sit there and then eventually we'll come up with the final draft. No, it was Newt Gingrich saying we're going to vote on these pieces of legislation. These are pieces of legislation, not vague great sounding concepts even if everybody agrees with the concept that's what this thing is the preamble by the way the the body of it doesn't get much better when you click through the website it doesn't get much better 
We will work with anyone who shares these goals as long as they put people before politics. What the hell does that mean? I think I saw that on a bumper sticker on a Prius the other day on the freeway. People before politics. Okay, congratulations. Great work. Nice job. But the extreme ideology of this Democrat majority blinds them to the challenges of everyday Americans. No, they're not blinded by it. They're just indifferent. They don't care. They don't give a damn. Agenda uberalis. The individual is disposable to the left. The collective is what matters, except for them. The reason in socialist, communist, and fascist countries, the leadership was fat while the people were starving. Right now in North Korea, Kim Jong-un, fat. The people, starving. It's pretty simple. Doesn't apply to them. The rules don't apply to them. The laws don't apply to them. They govern, they, they decree, they dictate. They do not follow. They are simply too partisan and out of touch to correct course now. So be it. Okay, if you're trying to reach somebody who's not really interested in politics or not really paying attention to politics, how does that appeal to them? The people this appeals to, you've already got, right? And I do understand that you have to... You have to do constituent services. You have to pay attention to your base. You have to throw them red meat every once in a while. But you've got to cast a wider net. Your base probably isn't enough to drag you across the finish line for either party unless only the base shows up and you can inspire your base to show up. Democrats are hoping with the Roe v. Wade overturning and their love of abortion, that this will get more and more Democrats who otherwise wouldn't have been inclined to show up or disinterested, don't really care for President Biden or whatever. And they were just going to sit home and file their nails and hoping that maybe that will stir them up. That's why they won't shut up about it. And it might work if Republicans stay home. And if Republicans are unable to not only inspire their base to show up, but also a good chunk of independence to go, you know what? I don't like the direction of this country. I want to go in the direction that they're leading. The Republicans want to take the country. The problem is they know the direction that the Democrats are taking the country and they don't like it. And Republicans, rather than say, we want to take the country in this direction, they say, we, here's, a, here's a couple of bumper stickers and a tramp stamp. Here's really good text for a tattoo. Okay. The last bullet point, starting day one, we will work to deliver an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. A great campaign speech. Not, not, a, camp, not a bullet point for an action item for legislation or even repeal of legislation. And the last line is under that bullet point. This is our commitment to America. In a Congress restored to the American people, we will do everything in our power to make it a reality. To make what a reality? To make what a reality? You're talking about feels and gut instincts and all these things you can't legislate and things that are state issues that you can't legislate from Washington, D.C. But we'll make it a reality. We'll make, we're going to make everything better. How? How? 
even if Republicans take the Senate, and I hope to God they do, how are you going to get it past Joe Biden? They are overpromising. They're promising results rather than action. They can take action. They can pass legislation. It can be vetoed, whatever, or die in the Senate. They can do that. Those are promises they can keep. These promises, to the extent that you can flesh out any promises and specifics in this language, they can't really keep. Not going to get anything done. There's nothing the House of Representatives will do or be able to do that will cause bad prosecutors across the country to suddenly go, all right, I guess I'll enforce the law. Or get the Biden administration to go, okay, we'll secure the border. You can't. So at best, if this works, you're setting yourself up for two years from now, Democrats saying Republicans have not done anything they said they would do. And they'd be true. Instead of promising action or legislation or they're passing, they're talking about they're going to finish the job. They can't. I want to shift gears. I had no intention of spending that much time on the uh, new version of the contract with America. I want to talk about just the, the... the rhetoric, the dangerous rhetoric. You gotta love it. Violence. Words are violence. Words are vi- silence is violence. Everything is violence, except when left- leftists do it. When leftists say it, and the people who I don't know if they believe these things or not, but they sure as hell act like they do. And they believe that the uh, silence is violence. Words are violence are out there, if they believe it, committing a whole hell of a lot of violence against conservatives, seemingly wanting to inspire violence. Actually, what I think Democrats really want to do is what I believe Democrats have wanted to do for five years, maybe six, seven years now. They need to keep the pot simmering. They don't want the pot to boil. They want the pot to simmer. And when it does boil occasionally, they still get away with it. They still manage to find a way to, I don't know, deflect and pretend that boiling is not actually boiling. We had the summer of riots in 2020. And uh, what did they refer to? Well, they were out for justice. They were protesting for justice. It was mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. That's That's not any version of peace I've ever seen. I've never seen a peaceful way to throw a Molotov cocktail at a police officer. I've never seen a peaceful way to try and blind a police officer with a green laser. I've never seen that. Not that I've been looking, but I've never seen one. Yet that was how it was spun by the leftist media because they are so far in the tank. The American people, though, looked at it, watched it, and it didn't sit right with a lot of people. That is why I believe that while uh, it didn't go well at the top of the ticket, down the ticket, the American people surprised everybody and voted against Democrats. The Republicans, it's forgotten, but Republicans almost took the House of Representatives in 2020. They almost did. They almost took it again in 2022 because people remembered that stuff. And Democrats have gotten so extreme. They fell like five votes short, but that was it. That was pretty damn close. If things had gone differently in Georgia, Republicans would control the United States Senate. It would be a completely different ballgame. If the president at the time, the outgoing president during the special election, Donald Trump, had said, all right, 
go vote, get out and vote, all of my supporters, get out and vote and in the runoff election. I don't care. If he had had that in him, Republicans would have held probably both seats, to be perfectly honest with you. But he didn't. The message became mixed at best, whereas he was saying you shouldn't. If they don't change the way the voting is done, you shouldn't vote. Don't, well, there's no point in bothering to vote. And like that's, that's profoundly unhelpful, no matter how, how much you think it's true. It is profoundly unhelpful. And your job should be to be as profoundly helpful as humanly possible. So, yeah, you, I believe you can lay the blame for the Senate loss at the way that the Trump administration, the president in particular, handled himself in the ensuing weeks. That being said, we've got a chance now. And Democrats have gotten even more desperate because as the American public has seen, and thank God, I mean, look, most of the things that Joe Biden has done are reversible if Republicans take over everything in 2024. There is legislation that can be, they, they ram things through through reconciliation. They can be, the undoing of them can be rammed through in reconciliation too. There's a good possibility that if Democrats don't, uh, well, if Democrats lose the House, they won't change the filibuster rules. But there's a possibility that they will change the filibuster rules if they don't, and then God help us. But everything they've done to this point can be undone with just a simple majority and the presidency. That would be ideal. Democrats are terrified of this. And so Democrats have started to ramp up the rhetoric even more. They seem to be, you know, if you don't want to boil over, you don't want political violence, even though we've had political violence. The kid who was killed by the Democrat because he was an extremist right-winger, extremist right-winger. Shannon Brandt killed Kaler Ellingson because he said he's an extremist right-winger. That has uh, happened, and the media has ignored it. The media has ignored it. New York Times hasn't covered the story at all. because Why? Because what are they going to do? Report the truth? There's no real way to lie about it. The 18-year-old kid is not a member of any extremist group. He's an 18-year-old kid. The 41-year-old drunk killer, I ran him over, he, uh, he did it. And he claimed why he did it. It was those damned Republicans. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, what in the hell is going on? Well, what the hell is going on is that the Democrats have ramped up the rhetoric. That brings us to Keisha Lance Bottom. She is now a senior advisor to Joseph Robinette Biden. If the name sounds familiar, it's because Democrats fail up. She was the mayor of Atlanta. She was the mayor of Atlanta who oversaw a massive uptick in crime, violent crime, a disaster down there in Atlanta. And she decided she didn't want to run anymore. That's how bad it was. Like, oh, there's a possibility that she was going to lose. She was so bad and feckless as mayor, even though she was at the time getting nonstop glowing coverage from CNN and MSNBC. She was on them constantly. Politics is local. And if your mayor is on television constantly talking to national anchors about national issues and ignoring what's going on in your own city, people tend not to like that. And so 
she recognized that it wasn't going to work out well for her. At least it probably wouldn't work out well for her. And she decided to retire, which is, you know, I want to spend more time with my family. I'm not going to run for reelection. And then she immediately took a job a thousand, fifteen hundred miles away to spend time with her family. <laughs> I love these people. Oh, no, I'm just, it's, it's enough. I'm going to retire. Really? What are you going to do? I'm going to relax a little bit and then reassess. And then you immediately take a job in the administration. She got it. She failed up. She's senior advisor to the president. She was on MSNBC over the weekend on a show hosted by Washington Post columnist Jonathan Gapehart, which means he'll get no serious questioning whatsoever. There will not be any challenges. A Democrat on Democrat love fest. Listen to the way this starts off with Keisha Lance Bottoms. This election is a very important election, not just for Democrats, but also for Republicans, also for independents and anyone who cares about the United States of America. There is a MAGA Republican agenda that gives no consideration to the rule of law, that has no respect for a woman's right to choose, that wants to defund the FBI. There is a MAGA Republican agenda that thought that it was okay to attack our nation's capital on, on, on January 6th. I think people will think of all of these things um, when they go to the ballot box, no matter what their party affiliation, affiliation is, and, and I think that they will vote accordingly. They're dining out on this uh, January 6th thing still. I just can't imagine that the vast majority of the American people care. You ask them. It's, uh, MSNBC is still citing polls. Morning Joe. A poll. 40 f- or 54% think that uh, Donald Trump tried to overthrow democracy or was a threat to on January 6th. Okay, yeah, but who gives a damn? All right? You go to buy groceries for your family and you can't do it. Are you going to be upset about January 6th? Is January 6th going to come into play? In that transaction, or is the guy in the White House who's responsible for that going to be a bigger factor? So you can get polling data. Yeah, no, that's a horrible outrage. I still can't fill my gas tank up. You know, it's awful. Can you believe what's going on? I still can't fill my gas tank up. I can't feed my children. But yeah, you know, what you're concerned about is bad too. What's telling is Democrats aren't concerned about Americans' ability to feed their children. They aren't concerned about Americans' ability to fill up their gas tanks. They aren't concerned at all. And oh, by the way, the cost to charge an electric car, at least in the UK, is on par with the cost to fill up, the per mile cost is on par. It's a few pennies less to charge an electric. It's gone up 10 pounds to fill up your car on an electric charge in the UK because of their soaring energy prices, because of their failure. We're in a better situation thanks to Donald Trump, but Joe Biden is doing everything he can to get us into that similar situation. So the idea of you drop 50 grand, you never have to worry about gas prices again. Yeah, technically you don't have to worry about gas prices. You do have to worry about electricity prices. And if those go up significantly, your uh, charging of your car isn't going to be the pennies on the dollar that they led you to believe. But none of this matters to Keisha Lance Bottoms. None of this matters to Jonathan Capehart, who comes back 
with a question, if you can call this a question. This is the serious journalist from the Washington Post and MSNBC's question to the advisor to the president. You know, I've noticed, and I think a lot of people have noticed a certain phrase that you have been using since the very first answer, and that's MAGA Republicans or MAGA Republican agenda. It is a tough line uh, taking being taken by the president and by you here right now against Republicans writ large. My question is, Will the president and will folks in the administration in the between now and the November 8th elections keep hammering away at that at that phrase, at that imagery? <laughs> what a tough. Where have you been, Jonathan? Where have you been? What world, what world do you live in? We're like, oh, now this MAGA Republican thing. You're now saying that. Like, oh, yeah, no, that's totally new. The pre- Did you not notice the president's blood red speech in Philadelphia? MAGA this, uh, they're horrible, coming to kill you. You didn't notice that speech is the first time you heard it? You've been on vacation somewhere? Now, being the level-headed leftist that she is, and knowing that it will be unchallenged, Keisha Lance Bottoms goes on to say that MAGA is a danger to the way our way of life. They want to destroy the United States. Now, remember, what they're saying is if these people win an election, they're going to destroy democracy, which is—it's uh, not how democracy works. It's not. First of all, nobody's advocating that. But the idea that if you vote wrong, you're going to destroy democracy is the ultimate in scapegoating and scare tactics, right out of the Nazi playbook. And these people are going, "Oh no, no, no! The right wingers, Nazis were right wingers. These people are insane." And this rhetoric. Is go- if you're watching Jonathan Capehart on Sunday mornings, you are already mentally unstable and open to suggestions without evidence. And there's a good chance that somebody out there could be the next James Hodgkinson. You have to wonder, are these people aware of it? And you recognize, of course, they're aware of it. Then you get to the real question. Are these people counting on it? That's where you get into dangerous territory. Well, I think it will be important for all of us who care about the United States of America to call out what we see. And what we see, again, with this MAGA Republican agenda is an effort to disrupt our democracy. So whether it be through November and beyond November, I think it will always be important to call out any effort there is to destroy, essentially destroy the United States of America. (laughs) Destroy the United States? How? Strict adherence to the Constitution. That's trying to destroy the United States of America. And now the left is saying, oh, the right, they don't even respect the Constitution, which is insane. It's incredibly stupid. The audacity of these people to make these claims is uh, something, it, it's, it's embar- a normal person would be embarrassed to lie as brazenly as these people do. But they do it without concern. And they do it, they live in circles that they uh, know that they'll never be challenged. They know they'll never be challenged. And so Keisha Lance Bottoms finishes up her answer this way. President Biden has been very clear. He wants to work in a bipartisan effort. He has worked in a bipartisan effort. He's been able to get things done on behalf of our country. But when you have a MAGA Republican agenda that has no respect for the Constitution, that has no respect for free and fair elections, then it is important for all of us, not just the president, not just me, 
for all of us to call it out for what it is. It is a danger to our democracy. It is a danger to our way of life. It's a danger. Now, if you're unstable and you're watching this and you believe Keisha Lance Bottoms and you recognize that she's talking to the president of the United States and in this interview is speaking on behalf of the president of the United States in her official capacity. She's not there speaking as a former mayor of Atlanta who had to run away because she was so terrible at it. She is speaking as a senior advisor to the president of the United States. If you're sitting there and you believe that and you go, my God, if these people win... It's the end of the United States. It's horrible. It'll be death and destruction. It'll be the Nazis all over again. It'll be Germany, 1933. It's horrible. What an awful situation. Somebody has to do something. One of the unstable will sit there and go, you know what? There is one of these MAGA Republicans doing a campaign event down the street. I have to act. I must do something. You already had a guy try to stab Lee Zeldin running for governor in New York. You already had a guy travel across the country to try and kill Brett Kavanaugh at his home and his family. That's what Democrats have inspired. And they've, I can't say they learned nothing. They don't care (laughs) what they've done. The rhetoric they're using to try and inspire their base to come and vote is also inspiring people to acts of violence or at least attempted acts of violence. And they don't care. The trade-off is worth it. They can count on their fellow travelers in the media to not report on it. So when a 41-year-old runs over an 18-year-old because he's part of a Republican extremist group, you know the New York Times isn't going to report on it. None of the three networks are going to report on it. They're still hung up on the crosshairs that uh, Sarah Palin put on a map 15 years ago. That's responsible for Gabby Giffords, but essentially telling somebody that Hitler is coming back in the persona personified by these republicans that's that's nothing no big deal nothing to see here moving on so to uh kind of put a fine point because what keisha lance bottoms is doing there is throwing red meat to the base she's supposed to be a government employee she's not supposed to be campaigning but that's that line is so blurred now it's ridiculous so she's out there on MSNBC throwing all this red meat to the base. And, oh, the mega Republicans. Oh, my God, they're terrible. They're monsters, perhaps history's greatest. They're going to destroy the country. They want to destroy the country. They need to destroy the country. And you sit there and you go, who the hell does this appeal to? Who are these people that this insanity appeals to? And it's Democrats. And you really recognize that Democrats are trying to pull off a base election they want as many democrats they believe that if independence can be turned off by them and frankly by a lot of republicans that it turns it comes down to who can turn out more of their regular voters and they believe they can turn out more of their regular voters Maybe they can I don't know that's why I always say never spike the football on the five yard line you have no idea what's going on and how things will actually go when the rubber meets the road. But Democrats, that's really their only hope. They can't appeal to independents. They're not going to appeal to Republicans. They're trying to, they can barely appeal to Democrats. So they're trying to appeal to as many Democrats who are as inclined to be as crazy as they are as humanly possible in the hopes of winning some races 
that way. And you have to really, to appreciate the rhetoric that you just heard there, and the rhetoric you hear from the left now almost constantly, is is to appreciate the bubble in which they've created, which they've created for themselves, in which they live, in which they inhibit and inhabit. They, um, it's personified by the the book. Let me just look it up here on my phone, just so I get the exact. I, I find the book interesting, but it is wildly. Uh, it, it really illustrates how insulated these people are. It's by Jan Wenner. It's a memoir, like a Rolling Stone. He's the guy who founded Rolling Stone in 1967. He's been the publisher. He's the editor, blah, blah, blah. Goes through. It's a lot of name dropping. And boy, howdy. He's friends with Mick Jagger and Bruce Springsteen and Bono and was friendly with all the Beatles and blah, 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 blah. And he can't stop telling you who he vacationed with and which vacation he went to. and It's really just nonstop name dropping. You don't actually learn all that much about Jan Wenner. You do learn a little bit about the operations of Rolling Stone at various points in its existence, which is interesting, which is if you're interested in the topic, a reason to buy or just go to the library and, and rent the book. But Jan Wenner is so tone deaf. He is worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $600 million. He was born rich. I don't know if he was born on third base or not, but he was definitely born with a healthy lead off a second. His family was wealthy, and actually he was probably born on third base. And he managed to parlay a life of, uh, you know, being born on third base to being almost a billionaire, hanging out with billionaires, being friends with billionaires, and still grousing about other people and other corporations that make so much money. At one point, he goes, how many billions do Apple and Facebook need? Because they were cutting into the profits of Rolling Stone. And you're like, uh, dude, uh, how many hundreds of millions do you need? Facebook is worth billions of dollars as a company, and a lot of people own stock in Facebook. M- most people, if you have a 401k have stock in Facebook. Rolling Stone, you owned. Rolling Stone, you're making hand money hand over fist. How many millions do you need? How many private jets do you need? Apparently it's two. How many yachts do you need to vacation on with uh, Michael Douglas? Apparently it's several. How many times do you, how many homes do you need? That's a lot. And he's so disconnected, and every time it comes up to politics, he can't fathom how it is that anybody could vote Republican, how it is anybody could have liked George W. Bush over John Kerry, liked preferred George W. Bush over Al Gore. It just can't possibly be accepted. They're all on the same team. He's friends with them. He worked for them. He worked to elect them as a good journalist. At least he admits it, I guess. There's also a healthy dose of election denial in the 2004 election in the book, but Jan Wenner isn't facing boycotts or protests over that or being called a threat to democracy. But it is a world in which everybody he associates with is filthy rich, at least everybody he bothers to write about. There'd be no point in bothering to write about people if they weren't filthy rich, right? I mean, you can write about high school friends, but uh, who's going to know that? When you, why would you do that when you can write about how Bono's your neighbor? You know, or that you rent houses near Bono or whatever. 
It is a peek into the world of the liberal elite and just how disconnected they are. The winners are the type of people, and he admits it. He doesn't admit it. He says it, and it's not really an admission. It's just a matter of fact, because that's the world he lives in, that when they go on vacation with various stars and celebrities, and they're on a a boat, a yacht for uh, two weeks or a month or whatever. They're on some Caribbean island forever. They go, it was just, it was nice and secluded. It was me and uh, my husband and -and so-and-so and their wife and blah, 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 and our kids and our nanny. And it's like, wait a second, you brought the, that's the ultimate in elitism out of touch-ism, is you go on vacation and you bring someone to watch. The, we brought the kids, but we bring someone to watch the kids because we don't want to be, we're not working, we're on vacation, but we don't want to be bothered with the kids, you know, feeding them, clothing them, putting them to bed, bathing them, anything like that. We want to be able to drink and do drugs. And he talks about doing drugs with his elder, his older children and everything too. And it's just one of those things where you're like, this guy, it's an amazing life, but it is a case study in out of, out-of-touch liberal elitism. Every time an election comes up, every time an issue comes up, there is no alternative. It is the liberal way or you're a monster. It is you vote for the Democrats or you're a monster. It is down to stereotype versus stereotype versus stereotype when it comes to anybody who doesn't agree with Jan Wenner. Other people who are not liberal are monsters and have too much money. They're out of touch elitist. Rupert Murdoch is loathed in this book. Yet Jan Wenner and Rupert Murdoch have way more in common, way more in common than you could ever possibly imagine. If you just watch this guy, you listen to this guy talk, it, they, he is everything he decries. He is everything he opposes. He is everything he can't stand. And yet he doesn't make that connection. These Democrats talking about the election, the very democracy is on the ballot. Democracy itself is on the ballot. We could lose our democracy if the wrong people win. That's not... That's, <sighs> there is a major disconnect. You have to live in a bubble with pretty thin oxygen to believe that if you lose an election, you're a threat to democracy. They don't necessarily, they don't really believe this. They're trying to scare their base to come out. They understand. They have to understand that they are the true threat to the republic as it stands. The people who ignore the Constitution, accusing other people of ignoring the Constitution. You can always tell what a Democrat is up to by what they're accusing their opponents of. But the audacity of it and the pathetic nature of our journalism these days to just let it go unquestioned because they only go to safe spaces. Keisha Lance Bottoms will never be interviewed by Dana Perino. She wouldn't risk it. She'll only be interviewed by someone like Jonathan Capehart, who's on the team, who won't ask serious questions, who won't have any follow-up, somebody else who lives in that bubble. Okay, in the remaining time we have left, I do have some audio I want to play for you. First, we'll start with the historic, historic Karine Jean-Pierre. Just to illustrate how out of touch these people are, the world that they live in is, uh, it sounds horrible. (laughs) Really, it sounds absolutely awful. But uh, she was asked, talking about climate, they love climate, oh my God. 
Joe Biden, we got him talking about climate, too, because it was the big global citizen thing over the weekend. Let's get a whole bunch of... How many times are these people going to get together and have concerts? Massive carbon footprints. And they go, oh, we're here to celebrate the planet. Like, you're polluting the hell out of the planet. And then you show where they left, where they gone, and the garbage they leave behind. And like, oh, yeah, no, but they're here for the... But the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds go to... Uh, a, whenever you hear a portion of the proceeds, be a little bit wary of it, especially if a liberal is involved. That means that a tiny percent as uh, they have to give something they'll cut a check to some group but somebody's getting rich off this somebody's getting rich off of it even in political fundraising the uh, candidates oftentimes get a smaller percentage than the people the altruistic liberals who are raising the money same thing with conservatives it's a hell of a racket i wish i knew a bunch of rich people i could say won't you give to this wonderful cause and then i'd slice off 90 percent for myself and I'd go here's your 10 percent cut we're all heroes here. Anyway, talking about hurricanes, listen to Karin Jean-Pierre. So historic. Talking about uh, hurricane. Now, notice the fact that what she says doesn't comport with reality. There's been fewer hurricanes, especially since Katrina, the uh, National Weather Service has predicted fewer hurricanes this year. That just whenever there is a hurricane, they pretend that, oh, my God, this never happens. Even though, you know, there's a time of year that's called hurricane season, you know, just like all oh, would you look, these tornadoes are happening all over the Yeah, they're happening in a place called Tornado Alley. Horrible, tragic, each one of them, but it is called Tornado Alley, and it wasn't an ironic name. Or floods have this horrible flood. Happens. Look at this historic flood. Well, it is a floodplain. It's right there in the name. There's hurricanes during hurricane season shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody unless you just arrived on the planet or crawled out from under a rock or a nuclear fallout shelter where you were in there during the Cuban Missile Crisis and nobody bothered to come over and knock and say, hey, it didn't go down. Come on out. Anyway, listen to Karine Jean-Pierre. And it is one of the most, the most historic investment to fight climate change. As we are talking about extreme weather, I've gotten multiple questions on Puerto Rico and what the people, people of Puerto Rico, our brothers and sisters, are going through. Uh, what, what may happen in this hurricane season? A lot of that is, is going to uh, be helped. Uh, by the work that this president has done, bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, again, the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act, ladies and gentlemen, is going to stop hurricanes. What? The Inflation Reduction Act hasn't even really been implemented yet, but it's going to stop hurricanes. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> How? Because uh, we're throwing tons and tons of money at uh, at climate change, at green energy, at all these left-wing causes. And you're like, well, wait a second. How does that reduce inflation you know it's kind of right there in the name the inflation reduction what does it do to uh, to decrease inflation well it doesn't do anything to decrease inflation they they don't really even pretend that it will decrease inflation every once in, every once in a while they they throw the name out there when saying what are you do, what are you doing to uh deal with inflation well we passed the inflation reduction act right i know but you it's really just a tax and spend bill it's actually going to exacerbate inflation what are you going to do about actual literal inflation as it currently exists that people are hurting from well uh, the inflation reduction act we're going to make green energy more readily available how's that you're going to 
put $100 billion into solar panels out in the Mojave Desert. That's great. Now, how's that going to cut my uh, my grocery bill as I go to the grocery store today? Oh, it won't? Yeah, no, because you're not, you're not doing that. You've you got a nice little sounding name, and you're going to go ahead and uh, just use it. And so you watch the media coverage about the potential for a hurricane down in Florida. Oh, this climate change. There are going to be more hurricanes. They're going to be more frequent. What did we hear after Hurricane Katrina from Al Gore, the Pope Goris IV, on the Holy Church of Global Warming? These hurricanes are going to continue to be more extreme and more frequent unless we do X, Y, and Z. Well, we didn't do X, Y, and Z. And what did we do? We had 15 years without a hurricane hitting the United States of America, without a major hurricane in the Caribbean. How is that possible? Uh, Katrina was the harbinger of things to come. It was the the first, the firing opening shot. And then nothing followed it up. Now, the Democrats believe that Mother Earth was like, all right, I've showed you what's coming. I'm going to give you 15 years to get your act together. And if you don't, it's game on. Is that what they believe? No, because... I mean, maybe, who knows? But uh, we haven't really had that many super strong hurricanes since then either. Yet Joe Biden did a video conference to this uh, global citizen thing. It's a really, it's like a prison video. Jill's standing next to him. They just threw up a backdrop. It's probably a green screen backdrop. It says global citizen. And there is the president of the United States talking about all the money. Now this, again, he's talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. And suddenly it's 300 and some odd million dollars towards green energy. And then on top of that, we're going to be setting a billion dollars on fire, sending it to the third world in the name of climate change, all of which will be stolen by these corrupt governments, which is why they're the third world in the first place. But here's the president. Last month, I signed the biggest climate bill in history, the biggest ever. $369 billion to slash emissions by nearly half. This is a whole new chapter for America and and for the planet. We have to do a lot more. I pledged $11 billion a year to help poor countries fight climate change. Working with Congress, with your help, we can get this done. $11 billion a year. By the way, I said the the biggest climate bill in history. You mean the Inflation Reduction Act, Mr. President, is the biggest climate bill in history? So what does it do to inflation? It doesn't do anything about inflation. It's all about payoffs to my constituency. And on top of the $360 billion we're already going to send to Democrat donor groups, they are going to give $11 billion a year to the third world to make sure that they combat climate change, which we're told they don't actually contribute to climate change, right? Isn't that what they're told? And it's going to be stolen by the despots who run those countries. And guess what? I bet you dollars to donuts hunters on the phone right now to these countries talking about ways you can consult and get a slice of that action. That's how it works. The Biden family. That's enough for today, I think, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate the use of your ears. Fear not. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow because the crazy never stops. Appreciate it. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow.